Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. Mike Schaefer joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts. We are fully into the offseason, which means it is time for all of the recruiting news that you could ever possibly want. But before we get to that, I do want to mention 50% off of the regular price for an annual subscription to Husker 24-7. Uh, great deal right now. Take advantage of that. Get to Husker 24-7 and check out that deal. If you are not one of the many, many people that have recently signed up with us uh, and joining our site, we're very excited about what we have coming up here in the future. All right, now that that is out of the way, Nebraska actually picked up two commitments since the last time that we had a chance to sit down and do a full podcast. We spoke to you after the Iowa loss. We aren't going to dwell on that a whole lot. Got that kind of out of the way in the third shift podcast. But I do want to bring up Junior Aho and Jamoy Hodge. And I guess, Brian, what did it mean to you when you see that Nebraska is heavily investing in recruiting junior college linebackers in this class right now? What did that mean for something in the 2020 year and beyond? Uh, it's about the now. Uh, I mean, they need guys who can be immediate impact players. Uh, well, the younger guys who are your four or five year type system guys that you get out of high school can grow up a couple of years. Uh, that's not to say that you discount uh, guys right out of high school or some of the red shirt freshmen like, you know, Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer and Jackson Hanna that are coming back. Uh, but they need they need difference makers on that second level that can completely turn a game on its ear. And uh, I, I just don't think they've had that in a while. And I don't know if that guy's on the roster right now. So there, I, I think in a way you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit uh, with, with one of the, or two of these guys uh, who can, who can be that type of player. So, so just to run through these guys, junior Ajo, comes from the New Mexico Military Institute. He's a Frenchman. Um, really kind of interesting backstory with his growing up over in France, being coming part of the Bjorn Warner sort of scouting development program over there, getting placed at New Mexico Military Institute. A guy with an MMA background, judo, uh, just a really good athlete, 6'3", 255 pounds. He is a guy that both of these guys actually are, are going to have four years to play three seasons, which makes them pretty rare junior college players. Junior Ajo is, is the outside linebacker of the two. Uh, he's got a six-foot-three frame with 250 pounds, and he's someone that moves pretty well with that size. And when I spoke to him, he said that the biggest thing he wants to do when he gets to Nebraska is to be able to apply pressure uh, as a, you know, as an outside linebacker. But he also thinks that he can move and play in space a little bit, too. And so he's uh, an intriguing outside linebacker type for the Huskers. Jamoy Hodge is a little bit more of the polished of the two. And again, yeah. another four-year guy uh, with three years of, of season eligibility. He's going to be able to step in and, and provide some depth at the inside linebacker spot. Playing outside linebacker, I believe, in junior college right now. But his speed will translate pretty well to the inside spot where Nebraska might be able to have him match up in situations where he can go and cover the running back out in the flat where he can maybe match up with a tight end every now and then. Nebraska found themselves in some bad coverage spots with their inside linebackers because they didn't want to go out of their base package a whole lot at times last year. Somebody like Jamoy Hodge will be able to help with that. So those are Nebraska's two most recent additions. The last few days, since they've been able to go on the road, they have been all over the country. Scott Frost has been in Oklahoma. 
He has been in Florida. He has been in Alabama. He will be in Mississippi today. He will be in Georgia tomorrow. We know he'll be in California and Florida again next week. He is going to be very busy. And then all of Nebraska's assistant coaches have fanned out around the country. They've had coaches in the Northeast. They've had coaches out West. They've had coaches down South. They've had a coach in the Midwest. Uh, they've been all over. I mean, Ryan Held was in Lawrence, Kansas, offering a 2021 running back yesterday. Greg Austin's rolling through Illinois right now, offering a Minnesota commitment in Sam Jackson and a 2022 wide receiver. Uh, so these guys are really, you know, canvassing out throughout the country, trying to hit on some of their major targets. Uh, I think that people know who most of those guys are. But to reiterate, today on Wednesday, Nebraska will be to see Julius Coates defensive lineman, junior college guy out of East Mississippi, visited for the Iowa game. A couple crystal balls have rolled in for Nebraska for Julius Coates. I think it looks good. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast this afternoon, I wouldn't be shocked if you see him make a flip uh, to Nebraska tonight during his in-home visit. So uh, they're trying to get some things done. They've got, you know, eight spots or so, uh, I think, to fill up in this class still. And, and a whole lot of different options, including wide receivers, linebackers and defensive linemen those appear to be the three primary points of emphasis that nebraska is on right now mikey you 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 hit on a lot of you know you mentioned some crystal ball picks go go a little bit deeper into Coates because he was the one official visitor for that iowa game um what does he kind of bring to the table i guess and 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 i guess where does he fit in among the junior college guys that nebraska is pursuing because there's a ton of them yeah, I like Coach a lot. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy that is the sort of junior college player that you're not going to get burned on because he's going to be able to come over here. He'll be part of a rotation. He's not someone that – you have Ben Stilley, you have DeAndre Thomas. You can add Julius Coach to that. You're going to have Jakeem Green and Ty Robinson and Nash Hutmacher and Tate Wildeman and Casey Rogers. You're going to be able to figure out where you're going to move some of those guys and where they're going to play. But you know if a guy like Coach, he's going to be a defensive end for you. He can play in that rotational position at defensive end. He can give you a little bit of a, a lift off of the edge, but he's also going to provide some, some length. He's going to shut down some passing windows for you. He's going to take up some of those offensive linemen, kind of play a little bit of a power defensive end position. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, you need options like that. And it allows you to get creative with the Jakeem Greens and the Ty Robinsons because the biggest thing that Nebraska faces for next year is figuring out how to replace Darian Daniels and what he was able to do with the nose tackle spot. So if you can solidify where you are with defensive end, maybe that allows you to put Jakeem Green and Ty Robinson inside to work with Damian Daniels and try to figure out your best rotation there at nose tackle. So I think Julius Coates would be a really nice addition for Nebraska. Uh, and the big thing with him is he's originally from Illinois. And so I, I think that his family really liked the idea of playing in the Big Ten. They loved their visit when they were out here for Thanksgiving weekend. Nebraska really sold the idea of family to him. He loved the crowd. He loved the atmosphere of the game. Uh, even though Nebraska came up a little bit short, I think he certainly saw how he could fit in and, and where he could fit in on this defense. I want to go back quickly to uh, Junior Aho, who committed last week, because I'm fascinated by him. Uh, just what do you think – when you look at him as a prospect, how raw is he right now? Because I was talking about guys who can immediately plug in uh, with some of these Juco guys. Maybe he's a different case. How raw do you think he is? But also how great of a ceiling do you think he is? Because I remember uh, 
he was the guy who, you know, he went up to Oregon and our guy, Wilt Fong says he, you know, he was just a specimen that, that sticks out. So what, what's kind of your thoughts on where he comes in and how much time it could take for a guy like that? Well, I think he's athletically, he's physically going to be more gifted than a larger portion of the roster. It's where it's going to be for him is mentally, how is he going to be able to handle the transition and the jump of quality from junior college to Nebraska? And then how quickly he can pick up what he's asked to do at this level. And so, you know, if it's a situation where it's see ball, get ball, and they can do that with him for a while, I think athletically he's going to really enhance what Nebraska is trying to do at the outside linebacker spot. Uh, if it's a situation where he's going to be asked to do a lot of different stuff, you're probably going to need that first year to really kind of transition into it. Uh, because, you know, Garrett Nelson talked about this a lot. They ask a lot out of their outside linebackers. It's not an easy position. Even if you are physically gifted like Junior Ajo is, you, t- you think about some of these freshmen, you know, Caden Johnson, we'll get into him here in a minute. It's not so simple that you could just show up as a freshman and just be able to go play and do what they want you to do as an outside linebacker. There's a lot that goes on there. There's a lot, you know, you're asked to drop in coverage. You're asked to read certain things. You're asked to go forward at certain times play in space at certain times but from a pure athletic standpoint he is a very physically gifted player and so I I think that they've increased that aspect of it it's going to be how quickly they can bring him along on the mental side of it that they can just kind of turn him loose and he can just go out and make plays because that's that's what you're hoping for with Junior Ajo. You'd feel a lot better about him being a a real impact guy early on if you were going to get here in January um Absolutely. You, you know, have the, that spring for sure. The, the one thing, though, I think that, that's noteworthy about a lot of these junior college offers, I think we hit on it, is a lot of these guys are four, or have three years of eligibility. They're four for three guys. And, you know, I, I understand that sometimes, you know, you, you want to plug that guy in. You want to, you know, get the immediate uh, juice from a JUCO guy. But, you know, that that, that gives you time. And I, I think you can you can you've seen in the past with guys like Deontay Williams even Byerson Cockrell was this way a little bit where if it doesn't click, you still have, you know, two years and, and a guy that's more physically advanced to come in and, and, you know, just provide competition at that spot too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a big thing there is that they don't necessarily view someone like Junior Ajo or Jamoy Hodge the same way that you would Julius Coates, who's a traditional, you know, three for two guy. You Julius Coates is going to be expected if Nebraska gets this commitment, because it hasn't happened yet, but if they get this commitment, Julius Coates is going to be expected to play sooner than Jamoy Hodge or Junior Ajo would, even given the depth that Nebraska has with their defensive line. I mean, they, they look at Julius Coates and they expect he can get on the field. When they look at Jamoy Hodge and they look at Junior Ajo, they think they're going to get on the field, but they also know they're a little bit further behind uh, and where they need to be physically. And, and they have a little bit more runway with those guys, too, that they can take a little bit more time to develop them. So I I think that's kind of important. I mentioned Caden Johnson. Uh, That's kind of been the big news this week. Crystal Balls came in from Alan True, Steve Wilfong, myself, uh, for Caden Johnson, big-time linebacker prospect out of Minnesota, number one player in the state of Minnesota, goes to Minnehaha Academy. And his season is over. It looks like he's focused on recruiting. And right now, Nebraska is a clear-cut favorite. Uh, You know, depending on who you talk to, some of that stems from where positional needs are for a place like Wisconsin that took several linebackers or for Minnesota, but both of those schools had their doors open the entire time. And Caden Johnson never said yes. Both of those schools had good seasons. 
Caden Johnson didn't say yes. I think that Nebraska's due diligence in recruiting him, their ability to just kind of continue to work towards getting him and and building that relationship. It's similar in a lot of ways to what we've seen with them, whether it was Nick Henrich, whether it was Wondell Robinson, Bryce Benhart, Turner Corcoran. Nebraska, when they put in that effort on a top-end kid, they don't get work, they don't get outworked, and they usually give themselves a chance. And I think that's what's going to happen with Caden Johnson here. That's interesting to me with Caden Johnson. Have you gotten a feel? I mean, he's up there in Minneapolis, and Minnesota has their best season in however long. And uh, since a lot of people have been alive up there, do you have a read on like if he did he not have any connection to the Gophers or like if, uh, any attachment to them? Is that kind of the the feeling you've gotten like yeah, growing I up? I don't think there's been any sort of like attachment that he had to Minnesota that just because it was a home state school. Uh, I think that there was a fair amount of rumblings that maybe he just didn't really buy into the way that Minnesota does things. I mean, the type of kids that Minnesota recruits are a little bit different uh, than other programs because PJ Fleck is a little bit different than other programs. And, you know, he's not for everybody. Uh, just like that wonderful state slogan that we have here in Nebraska. Uh, P.J. Fleck isn't for everybody, and I think that might have been part of the situation uh, with Caden Johnson. And the other thing is, I mean, Minnesota's not going to end up with Jalen Suggs. They're not going to end up with Terry Lockett. They're mm-hmm. not going to end up with Caden Johnson. They're not going to end up with several other guys in their own state. Uh, for whatever reason, they've struggled to recruit people in their own state. And Nebraska, if they end up with Caden Johnson – are going to go three straight years in which the number one player in the state of Minnesota goes from Minnesota to Nebraska. So they built a little bit of a pipeline that way. Hmm. What, uh, you know, we, we haven't hit on wide receiver a ton. Is that still the biggest need that you guys think of when you look at this class as it stands? Yep. I mean, when I looked out on the field this last half of the season, it's it was it was kind of hard to watch a little bit. I mean, you, you see, okay, there's JD Spielman, and then when Wandale Robinson was taken out of the equation, I was envisioning in a Scott Frost offense and where you have five or six or seven type of weapons out there on the perimeter that come at you in waves. And basically it was down to one or two this season. So I think that has to be stockpiled. And I think the guys who redshirted this year have to have a special off season. And I'm talking about Demarion Houston, Jamie Nance, uh, Darian Chase. I mean, those guys, I'm honestly a little surprised one or two of them didn't creep their way onto the field this year since there was the door was so wide open. That makes me a little nervous about it. But it also uh, kind of emboldens the idea that you better bring in a special prospect even better if you can bring in a guy who's, you know, 6'4", 220 or something like that. And there's a little bit of that security blanket for a quarterback that maybe Stanley Morgan was in the past. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I definitely think wide receiver is important. You look at the, the kind of targets that have emerged here. Uh, Omar Manning's a huge deal for him. Justin Robinson, they're going to have an in-home visit with tomorrow. That's a big deal. And then Alante Brown uh, is actually a new wide receiver name for us to discuss. He's the number one prep player in the country, which means that he graduated from high school, went to a prep school to improve his academic standing to better qualify for the NCAA. He's done that. He's at a school in Connecticut originally from uh, Chicago, 
and was going to go to Michigan State and then was going to go to Texas Tech. Wasn't going to qualify for either of them. Went the prep school route. Now uh, he's a four star. He's a four star as a as a high school kid. Five foot ten, so he's not the biggest guy in the world. But he's someone that played running back in high school that can absolutely play wide receiver. He's similar, I think, in terms of usage as to how J.D. Spielman and William Nixon and Wandale Robinson were in high school where they were running backs, but they ultimately moved to wide receiver. Uh, I think he's a kind of an interesting guy. And I know that everybody wants the Omar Manning, the Justin Robinson, the Javion Hester, you know, the guys that are the six foot three and you look at them and you just know that they can play that outside spot. But Nebraska also needs to add some depth just in general. And so Elante Brown, keep an eye on him. He's got to visit to Maryland this weekend, going to go to visit Nebraska in the middle of next week. And then he's going to visit, uh, I believe, Virginia Tech on the final visit period and then sign after that. And so Nebraska has made a little bit of a move there. So keep an eye on him. Um, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of other new targets that have popped up. Uh, you got a kid named Jordan Riley. He's going to be visiting from Garden City Community College this weekend. He's a North Carolina bounce back, six foot five, two hundred, and actually he's over three hundred, over three hundred pounds, and he's going to be a nose tackle prospect, which is kind of curious to me. I hadn't really couldn't figure out if Nebraska was going to take a junior college nose tackle player or not, or if this is just a this guy could be pretty talented. We need to replace Darian Daniels. Let's see what we have here. So there's always a lot that kind of goes into those situations. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. And then Jamari Butler from Alabama, another outside linebacker type. He's committed to Tennessee. He'll be in Nebraska this weekend as well. Those are the early visitors that we have as of right now. All right. Well, let's take a, uh, a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get into basketball. And uh, we'll see what else we can come up to discuss with here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we are back here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Mike Schaefer with Brian Christopherson. Michael Brunts, we, now that we are fully into the offseason, are going to go position by position, kind of discuss what happened in the 2019 season and what we are looking forward to in 2020. Figured we'd get it fired up with one of the lightning rods of conversations around this state. Nebraska's offensive line had quite the interesting season early on. They were what everybody pointed to for Nebraska's inability to move the ball on offense. Later on in the year, however, it felt like Nebraska's offensive line was one of their strengths on offense when everything else seemed to be cratering. How do you guys look at this season knowing that all five of these guys could conceivably come back next year while also recognizing Nebraska is going to have quite a few options this spring and in the fall to replace them? 
Well, I'm hoping the class that just came in that kind of was sitting behind the curtain all year steps it up and gives that group some competition. Now, I'm not saying to just push guys out of jobs. I think you're going to see most of the same faces probably in starting roles. But it needs to start to feel like, okay, there are eight or nine guys here who can step in and you don't feel like there's a major drop-off. I think that's been one of Nebraska's biggest problems in recent years is when there's a guy who's struggling up front, there's not really an answer uh, behind him. There's there's always this, oh, they should plug in this guy or that guy. But the truth is you're kind of falling off a cliff a bit uh, as to where the next guy is and how close he is to the guy in the competition. So, I mean, obviously a big deal is going to be Ben Hart. Ben Hart, I think if he is that dude and is ready next year and he can be your right tackle and Farniak can be your right guard, and then you got Jurgens at center, Hymas at left tackle, and what? Who pick your guy at left guard? Whoever wins the job, you can work with that. I mean, that's not that's not a bad starting five uh, if Ben Hart is up for it. Uh, but you know, there's a lot riding on on a young guy still figuring it out. I, I mean, I think a lot of people just sort of expect it's going to happen for Bryce, and I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, but we haven't seen anything yet, so we don't know. So that's that's where you, you have to just wait and see a little bit. It, it'll be fascinating because you've got all five of those guys coming back. Um, but, I mean, you, you, like you said, I mean, the, I, I think the ideal for Nebraska is that you move Farniok inside, Ben Hart's ready to go at right tackle, and then you kind of have your competition at the guard spots. Um you know, if, if that bears itself out, I think Nebraska is better off for it. But, uh, you know, the, the that group had a rough start, but I, I I feel better about the long-term kind of, you know, picture at offensive line than I do at Nebraska's skill positions, which I don't think I would have said, you know, in, in, uh, in a week four, uh, somewhere around there. I, I thought, you know, once the snap issues were handled, I thought Cam Jurgens played pretty well. I think the guard spots, you know, Brock Bando maybe slides inside, something like that to, to give you some more depth there. But, you know, I, I think Greg Austin has that group trending in the right way and the tackle-heavy class that they brought in. Um, you know, I, I think that group has the potential to be pretty good. I mean, and just watching those guys warm up for the Iowa game, the, the one thing that kind of surprised me was, you know, Brant Banks is a big kid. Um and, and, you know, he's maybe gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit of how he factors in. But I, I just think that they're, you know, probably about, you know, too deep at most spots right now of, of guys that maybe they don't feel comfortable with right now. But maybe by the time you get to August uh, or the start of next season, you've got a significant amount of depth there. Yeah. yeah and I, Oh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Another guy that. He kept popping up a little bit as Fritchie. Um, you know, Greg Austin, I think, likes his uh, tenacity. And I think there's a couple of guys in that 2019 class, two or three guys, who have a little bit of that uh, spark to them and maybe a little nasty. And it's much needed uh, with, with that group. Uh, I would say it was probably, I don't know what you guys think, it was probably the Indiana game where I started to be like, okay, maybe something's happening here. But I was curious, could they really stand up to Wisconsin and Iowa? 
And I think they did. I mean, I thought Wisconsin, they definitely handled pretty well, ran the ball when they wanted to, got a lot of movement done in that game. Uh, obviously, they had some good play calls against it, but there was a lot of success up front. Obviously, they had a problem with Epineza against Iowa. Everybody does. He's a special player. He's a top first-round type pick. Uh, but I thought all said, when they wanted to run the ball with Diedrich Mills, even against the Hawkeyes, uh, they got some stuff done in the second half. I mean, he ended up with 95 yards, and I thought could have carried it even a few more times. So uh, I think that has to be a huge confidence boost for them. If there's one thing where I say, okay, they're better than they were a year ago, I feel like they were closer to standing up to Wisconsin and Iowa teams in the trenches than they were in 2018, even though the outcomes were the same. Yeah, there's a number of guys that I'm really excited about with the offensive line. And, and you know, we mentioned several of them. I think Ethan Piper is going to have something to say with the the guard position. Uh, I, I fully expect Matt Farniok slides inside, which is going to, to potentially change out what your guard situation looks like. Uh, I And then you mentioned Jimmy Fritchie. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the, the replacement for Brendan Hymas someday. So there's there's a lot going on on that offensive line. Uh, I like the the work that Greg Austin and Nebraska has done to kind of replace the the pieces that they have there. Nebraska continually needs to put themselves in situations like the Maryland game where they can flood their bench and play some of these linemen that are younger than them. I know I've talked to Greg Austin about this during the season both years, and he just sort of laments that there aren't that many opportunities to get some of their young linemen in and to let them go to work. And so I know that Maryland was big for him in that regard. Uh, we'll see kind of what happens, obviously, with this upcoming season. But I do think that the offensive line is trending in the right direction. And it's funny because you could really make the case that the offensive line might be the position group that has acquired the most interesting pieces going forward since the staff has, has changed over. The only other one would probably be quarterback. Everybody else still has questions. You know, you got running back and and wide receiver where you have some depth concerns and you're some transfers there. Defensive back, I think they're on their way uh, to being closer to the offensive line. Defensive line, same thing. Linebackers, a lot of questions. But I, I really think they've done a nice job turning over that position group, considering what they inherited in December of 2017 to December of 2019. I think the future's pretty bright on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I concur. All right, well, look at that. Uh, Michael Brunts, we are coming to you for basketball. Nebraska plays Georgia Tech in the ACC Challenge today. Well documented, the Huskers can't rebound but can also shoot at times. What do you make out of these two matchups this week? You got Georgia Tech, you got Creighton. First two true road games for this group. What are you expecting to see? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know that. All right. But it, it's, I mean, that's basically the answer for this team, I think, uh, as we kind of go into this stretch, because it, it starts a, a tough stretch where you, you go to Georgia Tech, you go to Creighton, you go to Indiana, and you've got Purdue at home. Uh, we've seen Nebraska struggle uh, to rebound against the likes of Southern Utah, uh, Southern, and uh, George Mason. And, you know, the it's going to get only get tougher. And, you know, Georgia Tech, they almost lost a bye game the other night to Bethune-Cookman, but they return uh, three uh, really good players. They've got the nation's leading shot blocker uh, as well. So this is going to be, at times, I think, a hard game to watch because you're going to be asking 
uh, Kevin Cross to try to handle James Banks, um, who averages 5.2 blocks a game and basically a double-double. Um, but, you know, Fred Hoiberg basically said, you know, that, that we know we can't, we know we struggle to rebound. We have to do better or else it's going to get really ugly really fast. So um, I, I think it's a winnable game at Georgia Tech. I think Nebraska, the fact that they're shooting 45% over the last four games from three-point range is going to keep them in it. And it's the, the recipe is not going to change in, over the stretch of games. They've got to push pace. They've got to rebound when they can. And even off of uh, opponent makes, they're going to have to try to dictate the pace. Like Nebraska, the last time I looked, was right around a top 30 program for – uh, the pace that they're playing with, and you know that that's pretty good considering uh, how bad they've been on the defensive glass. So uh, we'll we'll see how they do tonight. The Creighton matchup is going to be fascinating because it, it's you know it, it's going to be a road game tonight against Georgia Tech, but it's going to be a hostile crowd in Omaha. Uh, Creighton is a team that I also still kind of struggle to make heads or tails of. I was really surprised at the way they looked at that tournament in Las Vegas. So, um, you know, it'll be the first taste of this rivalry for a lot of these guys. And, you know, with, with, with all these new players and still trying to figure out roles and all this other stuff, the team needs to be able to weather tough stretches. And they're going to have a lot of them over these next three or four games. So how they kind of handle that and, and who kind of steps up and leads, and guessing it's going to be Hanif Cheatham. Uh, but how they handle those things is going to determine how this stretch of games goes for them heading into winter break. All right. Well, uh, any closing thoughts here as we put together uh, another award-winning Husker 24-7 podcast? The, uh, the Amigos downtown is closing. Did you see that? Wow. Yeah, the, that's uh, all three of us. Well, I don't know. Brian's old enough that the journalism college may not have existed All right. uh, at the time that he would have went to school. But I know for Brunson and I, that Amigos was uh, was a spot that you would hit if you had a night class uh, or an afternoon class or potentially a mid-morning class. Uh, that Amigos, I, I knew that Amigos pretty well, which probably explains me better than it should. The, uh, Go ahead, Brunson. Say what you that, want about Amigos. That that amigo that amigos was responsible for probably about ten to fifteen pounds of weight gain in college, I think. So uh, I ha- I have a love hate relationship with it. I am old enough that that amigos to me was like a one fifteen to one twenty stopping point, where I believe people of a certain age it would be a two fifteen to two twenty stopping point. I believe at some point the hours of the bars closing shifted uh, after my time there. But yeah, I spent many a uh, late hour. They're enjoying a crisp pinto burrito. So that's, uh, you know, that's gone. Spaghetti works is gone. What, what, it's all gone. It's just, I, it's I, just tough. I always kind of felt like that Amigos was living dangerously by having that, that condiment bar open to the masses after one o'clock in the morning. Like you're just kind of asking for trouble. Didn't with, uh, they start employing a security guard because of issues that they were having with the, the 1 a.m. crowd? There was, yeah, there was the guy, the uh, the uh, Lancaster County Sheriff. I forget his name, but he was there. Uh, he was like a warm welcoming uh, mm-hmm. group every time he went in there. He's the same guy who sometimes would hold the door open to the press area in the post game, like oh, that. Was, he is the same guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had two of the oh, biggest wow. biggest jobs in this state, patrolling I the. Have, uh... 
post-Bar wow. Amigos crowd and getting the media in to interview uh, coaches after football losses. My mind is kind of blown by that right now. I, I think incredible. for a certain, a certain segment of UNL grads, he could probably run for governor and pull a pretty good amount of uh, the vote just based on facial recognition. Yeah. Friendly guy. Good handshake. All, well, that's it. So that's tough news today. So that's what was on my mind. All right. Well, if you uh, if you have thoughts on Amigos, thoughts on Nebraska recruiting, thoughts on Nebraska basketball or football, feel free to stop by Husker 24-7. We know there's a lot of new faces over there. Uh, come join in on the fun at Husker 24-7. We'll be back with another podcast next week.